Today's message has been brought to you by Faith Family Church in Billings, Montana. For more information, visit faithfamilybillings.com. So let's open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we're just so thankful for all your goodness and your mercy. We thank you, Father, for the gifts that you've given. We thank you, Father, for everything that you're doing on the earth today and through us and through this church. We praise you and we bless you. And Holy Spirit, our confession is that we know you, we see you, we hear you, and we follow and obey you. We just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, let's go to the book of Joshua. We've endeavored to look through the beginning of the, this book. It's chapter 1, verse 1. And we've been able to gleam some gems out of it as far as how things were back in Moses' time and Joshua's time and how that compares with us. So verse 1. Now it came about after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, cross this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, to the sons of Israel. Every place on which the soles of your foot tread, I have given to you, just as I spoke to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and as far as the great sea towards the setting of the sun, will be your territory. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Verse 7. Only be strong and courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or from the left, so that you may have success in what, wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do, all, to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Amen. That promises for us. He's with us wherever we go. So we looked in Joshua verse 1. We saw that, you know, Joshua, first of all, was a servant uh, and was in training for a number of years. We also looked at two other servants that uh, were in training, and, and that was um, Abraham's servant and then Elisha under Elijah, and how faithfulness was shown in all three of them. Uh, Joshua's faithful over the test of time. Uh, Abraham's servant was faithful in the mission and taking care of the money. And then Elijah, keep those straight, Elisha, the latter of the two, was faithful with the call of God on his life and followed uh, his trainer, Elijah. So we can see that we can be faithful in, over, in different areas. 
So Moses is now gone, and uh, a new leader is taking his place. And we shouldn't be shaken by that. Uh, we should just go with the flow of God. And we talked about and gave example of uh, when Kenneth Hagin uh, Sr. went on to his promotion and is now enjoying uh, heaven, uh, that a lot of people were wondering, well, what do we do now? Well, we continue, and we go on forward with the Great Commission, which is to go into all the earth, preach the gospel, make disciples out of those that are converted. In verse 3, we saw that Joshua had to do something. And we talked about the, the will of God may not just fall easily into our laps. Uh, it may take some work. It will require us to do something. He had to walk it out. And I'm sure he would have liked to have had it just all developed instantly in front of him. But he had to walk it out just like we have to walk out our salvation and we have to walk out the call of God that the call that God has on our lives. In verse 4, we see that the the area that uh, was described in this verse was not fully uh, taken possession of until King David uh, 430 years later in his kingship. God's plans are long term. And he's never caught off guard. Um, he doesn't have to, ever have to play hurry up and catch up. He knows what's going on ahead of time. Uh, also pointed out that the Hittites, had, uh, archaeology had never found any remains or any records until the, about 1870. And they found a tablet that contained the, the, uh, the wording of the, of the Hittites. And you know, people have tried to disprove the Bible over time. It's probably one of the most scrutinized book uh, that's ever been, uh, been printed, and it still holds up to the test of time. Verse 5, we saw that the awesome promise from the Lord uh, was conditional, and Israel allowed sin into the camp by taking in idols that they had uh, captured along the way or brought with them, and because of that, when they went up to the uh, fight that men of I or AI, they lost. They should have won in the natural. They were a much bigger force. But they turned and ran in, in front of their enemy. And I'm sure Joshua had to ask God, what happened? You promised that no man would be able to stand before me. And that came uh, with a condition. And, you know, we have great promises in this word also. And our promises are conditional uh, by grace through faith. We have to believe and, and receive them. And we talked about faith as a positive response to what's already been done. Joshua, in verse 6, we saw Joshua had a part to play. He had to be strong and of good courage. And we talked about that we can't allow our courage to come and go depending on feelings or circumstances because... Uh, the world is not set up to feed your spirituality. It's set up to feed the natural realm. And you have, to, you have to feed the spiritual through spending time in prayer and the word. Verse 7 said to observe and do not turn. And we looked at the, the word turn as not to alter or affect the function of. And we saw that one of the commentators on CNN says, you could pretty much believe anything you want as long as it, it doesn't uh, disagree with what I believe. And that's, 
that's where society is going. You're, you're welcome to believe anything you want, but the minute that it's, you know, contrary to what they believe, then, well, that's not right. You can't believe that. Uh, verse 8, God's word should always be spoken by believers. Uh, we should be meditating it, keeping it in, in our hearts over and over. And we saw that in that verse, uh, the word you, in my translation, is used six times. That you must do something. Um, it's not dependent on what other people do, but what you do with what you hear. In verse 9, Joshua was acting under God's direction. Uh, he <clears throat> was to be strong and be of good courage. And two things not to do was to be afraid and dismayed. And we saw that being strong is the opposite of fear. And that good courage is the opposite of being dismayed. You know, and fear is, a, is really a, a, a play on your imagination to allow you to conceive the worst. Um, sometimes, you know, you, you just have to say, come, bring it on, you know. Let, let it come. It can't be as, as, you know, doing it can't be as bad as thinking about it and letting that fear build up and, and, uh, and torment you. Joyce Meyer says sometimes you just got to do things as scared. And I think that's a combination of scared and afraid. So she talked about, you know, sometimes that when she was ministering in the early years that, you know, she was a sca a scare a scared, I guess is what she called it, you know, of, of what a fear had been building. And actually doing it was much easier than allowing that fear uh, uh, lie about the future. Joshua has an assignment, and we have ours. Uh, <clears throat> Joshua prepared the people for that assignment, and that's what we should be doing. We've been given a great and wonderful gift. How can we not share the good news? And I talked about the, the private that was on a transport ship going to, you know, to war in World War II and, and how he asked the chaplain, are you going to preach on hell? And the chaplain said, well, I don't know. And he said, you need to because if there is no hell, it's not a problem. But if there is a hell, we, know, we need to know how to avoid it because some of us, many of us will not be coming back or survive this. And that's the same way people are today. They need to know that there is a hell. There is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. And if we don't tell them, as Andrew Womack says, then we've made the decision for them, that, uh, and we don't want to be in that situation. So today, let's look at Joshua 3, verses 7 and 8. Now the Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that just as I have been with Moses, I, have, I will be with you. So Joshua's been given promises. He's uh, been faithful. He's been doing what God's told him to do. And now God's going to start working signs and wonders, and it's going to become visible to all uh, to see. Isn't that wonderful when you're uh, believing for something and it becomes visible and you receive it? Uh, that's what God's telling Joshua. He says, okay, the time's come. You, you're ready now. Uh, we've got everything in order. And then verse 8, you shall moreover command the priests who are carrying the Ark of the Covenant 
saying, When you come to the edge of the waters of Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. And what stood out to me on this was standing still. We've talked about taking a stand against a corrupt culture, uh, a culture that is uh, trying to tear away any uh, mooring, any moral uh, right, any civil right. They want to do whatever they want to do and don't tell them any differently. And he's talking to, to, uh, God's talking to Joshua, telling him to tell the priests when they come up to the edge and they're carrying the ark, they're supposed to stop and stand still. So what was inside of the ark that they're carrying? Well, we know the Ten Commandments, according to the Bible, that Moses had received on the, on, Mount, on the mountain were in there. We also know that there was a bowl of manna and Aaron's, bud that, uh, Aaron's rod that budded were in there. But we could say that the priests are carrying the, the truth of God, the anointing of God, and that ark, wherever it went, uh, it, it brought effects. Well, we're carrying the truth of God in earthen vessels. And when we stand still, we can expect God to work on our, on our behalf. And we talked about, you know, that we, uh, we, we know the world thinks we're already crazy. I mean, uh, to believe in uh, the, the gospel. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 118. For the word of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So to the world, the, the cross, and not the, the wooden cross, but the, what accomplished on the cross, um, Paul was referring to the work, the spiritual work, that Jesus did and accomplished for us through his death, burial, and resurrection. That's what the cross means in, in this context. You know, salvation can't be earned. It makes no sense to unbelievers because we've grown up in a society that rewards effort and rewards work. We expect that um, we should be able to earn our way to God. We should be able to be good enough. Uh, give the example of the scales of, you know, I, I do more good than I, than I do bad, so therefore I should be able to go to heaven. Well, um, that's not the way God works us. Uh, if you ever played at a, a pool hall, they have house rules, and, you know, God designed this thing, and he has house rules, and house rules trump. Um, so he designed this to be a free gift, and you think about the beauty of it is that it's available to everybody as a free gift. There's no, uh, there's no limitations. You don't have to be physically, uh, have great attributes, be athletic. You don't have to be overly intellectual. Uh, the gospel is at a, at a sixth grade level for reading the gospel. Um, so you can, uh, the, the, the gospel is a great equalizer of society. It's available to all who believe, and, and you don't have to earn it. 
Uh, Joshua had to cross the Jordan River and fight the people that were on the other side for the land. We've got to stand up for what's right and what the Word of God says in a deceived culture. First Corinthians 2.14, just another page, says that the natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. There's some people that have never had their eyes opened, not because they didn't have opportunity, but because they cho- chose not to make it uh, valuable. Keith Moore talks uh, tells a story about um, he was in prayer time and he, he was just asking God, how come you've blessed me so much? You know, you, you've done all these things. I was able to go to Bible school. I became a teacher there. was under past, uh, Dad Hagen for 20 years plus. And you've just done all these wonderful things and, and, and why? And he, he said God reminded him that when he first got the very first cassette tape, and it happened to be on the, the being redeemed from the curse that uh, Kenneth Copeland had preached. And he listened to it, and he just wanted to share that with everyone. He, and all his friends and the people that he was going with uh, said, we don't want to listen to cassettes. For music, maybe, but not for teaching. You listen to, to teaching, uh, preaching during the day, they put no value on it. And God showed him that the reason that Keith and Phyllis have been so blessed is because they valued the Word of God and they appraised it highly. And that's what we need to do, is, is we need to appraise the Word of God highly. It is what changes lives. It's what changes our life. Romans 1.16 says, The cross is the power of Christ to salvation. It's the power of God that works in the, in the lives of people. Not the same person I used to be because of what the cross has done. The wisdom of God is greater than the wisdom of man. And then we started looking at some questions of what you may run into as you take a stand in your place of work and it may be as simple as just wishing people Merry Christmas. Uh, I shared that story. Uh, and you don't have to be, you know, ugly and mean and, and uh, advert- advertageously do this, but do it with, uh, you know, this is what I believe and this is what, what I'm going to do and I, and I love God. Uh, why would a loving God send people to hell? We looked at that issue and the the underlying is that it's not God's choice. It's the individual's choice. And people don't like to hear that because it puts responsibility back on them. It puts responsibility back on society. It, uh, I read a book uh, by the sheriff of uh, Milwaukee County, and he, in this book he basically explained how society has moved from the pioneer days when people were responsible for pretty much everything that they needed to survive to now we have a doctor and he's you know, going to be responsible for our medical health. And if something goes wrong with our medical health, we're going to sue them. And we have a financial advisor, and they're you know responsible for making a making us money. And if they mess up, we're gonna we're gonna sue them. And 
every area of our life we've taken and we've tried to farm out responsibility so that we have no responsibility of any area of life at all. And that's not what the Bible teaches. Each individual uh, is responsible for their own decisions and their own um, their own course. So we saw that it's God's will that he loves everyone. John 3.16 talks about, uh, for God so loved the world. And that world is, right now, is 7,881,000,000 and counting people and, and growing. Uh, and he loves each and every one of them and wants to see them come to the knowing of his son. We talked about that God could have created a, a planet of people that just loved him uh, and had no 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 choice, um, kind of like your your dog, maybe a, an affectionate dog, and you know that you're you don't you don't choose to love, you just do that. Um, would be very shallow. And then we talked about forced love. If someone could force you to love them, how would that be? What would that look like? And we looked at Matthew twenty five forty one. Hell was never intended for humans. The Bible says it was created for the devil and, and his fallen angels, the demons. In 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord's will is for all people to, save, to be saved and repent. So when people ask you, well, how can I, how, you know, if, you, if God's so loving, like you say, how come he allows this? Well, he allows it because he wants you to, to be able to pick and choose. He, wants you, he tells you which way is right. He gives you the answers ahead of time ever had a teacher that, you know, I remember I had a, a, t a teacher that uh, he really wasn't big into tests. And he'd tell you, I've got to give you this test because, the, you know, that's what the, the, the school requires. But I already know who's, you know, doing the work and, and who's, you know, doing the, getting the grade. And so you, if you were, there was a test, he'd sometimes have answers on the board like, well, question number nine, you can read too much into it. I didn't like the way it's worded, so here's the answer. And he gave you the answer for question number nine, you know. <laughs> and God's the same way. He says, choose, choose life or death, but I recommend life, you know. So he gives you the answer ahead of time. So it's not his will for any to perish, but they do. Why? Because God lets them have a choice. It's their choice and not his. God gave mankind authority over this earth and over their own lives. You know, there's a, an extreme, you know, we talk about a ditch being on each side of the road. Uh, there's an extreme that, you know, some people say, well, God's in control of everything and everything good or bad that happens is because God wanted it. And then there's... Um, other people that say that God does, isn't involved in man's life at all, well, the truth is somewhere in between. You know, God has given each individual the right to pick and choose and the authority to bring about and control their, their, uh, their circumstances in life. But ultimately, this planet is on a lease, and he hasn't given up ownership of the planet, uh, and he is coming back, and we will see that his word will be carried out. So we looked, at, uh, we looked at faithfulness as loyal, conscientious, binding, and faithful to the original work. We talked about if you're ever counting money, that you can feel counterfeit money because it doesn't feel the same. We looked at uh, the, the servants of Abraham and Elijah. And then we talked about you know, another question that people will bring up when you're talking to them about God is, 
do you really believe the stories of the Bible? And we looked at uh, what happened during the Six-Day War and how the Israeli army, um, through confusion, was able to destroy all of the Syrian and Egyptian airplanes without, uh, with most of the Egyptian airplanes never leaving the ground. And how the, in day two they captured uh, many areas uh, without a fight and some of the skirmishes that there were were very short because the Egyptian commanders were telling their uh, soldiers to retreat even though they had the superiority in numbers and in, the, in position. Uh, we looked at the fact that they left behind enough heavy equipment to outfit up to 25,000 men. Um, that's turning tail and running. You know, usually when you turn tail and run, you have to, be, for whatever circumstances, you blow up things as you go uh, so that your enemy can't use the weapons that you leave behind. But they didn't even take time to do that. Uh, as I was looking at that this week, there are a couple of individual stories that stood out. Uh, by, you know, there's a book by the name of the Miracles of the Six-Day War, and I recommend you look at it. Uh, one of the smaller miracles, it wasn't small to the guys, but it was on a smaller scale. There was about nine or ten guys that had wandered out, and they all of a sudden had the realization, these Israeli soldiers uh, had the realize, realization that they were probably in a minefield. And that's got to be an unnerving sensation to, to go through as you're you know, walking and you realize that you, know, you don't know which way to, to, stand, to walk next. So they stood still and they prayed to uh, Jehovah and they said a, a, a wind came up and cleared the ground of the, of the sand and they could see the tops of these mines and they walked out of the minefield with no one stepping on one. You know, um, another in, in the tank wars, um, they were moving, the Israeli army was moving so fast because the Egyptians were running uh, that one of the tanks got separated and all of a sudden realized that he had, he and his, you know, his, his tank, uh, the tank commander, they had gone into uh, an area that was still occupied by Egyptians and they were surrounded and they stopped and they prayed and they said that the, the tank commander said he saw an illuminated path of how to get out of there. And he followed that path on the ridge and was reunited with his group and uh, said that the, as far as he knows, the Egyptians didn't even see them or know that they were there. So can God do what he said he would do in his word today? In the age of electricity and uh, radio and satellite, yes, he still can. Uh, we looked at Noah's Ark, what, yeah, you know, and I, I said, I, I believe in the, the uh, full earth a flood. Uh, some people believe in a partial flood. I don't see that that's scriptural. I think when the, when the Bible says the whole earth was covered with water, it was the whole earth. Uh, we talked about the ratio of uh, Noah's Ark and, and that it was followed by mariners for years on how to build a boat and a boat that was very stable. So somebody one asked one time, we were talking about this, they said, well, do you think that was the perfect ratio? Well, I think it was a perfect ratio for the material that was on hand and for the job that needed to be done. Uh, if Noah had to enter a rowing contest and they needed a canoe, this was not the best ratio of build. You know, this was something that was going to be very stable and to be able to withstand storms. So, yes, I think it was perfect for the, for the occasion. Then we want to look at today, do you believe Jesus is coming back again? 
So let's go to Matthew 24. And verse 4. I'll start verse 3, because they asked him, tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the signs of your coming, and the end of the age? They asked him three questions in one question, it's kind of a loaded question. In verse 4, Jesus answered and said to them, see that no man deceives you, see that no man misleads you, see that no one from Australia says, I am the Messiah, come join (laughs) my commune or group, or whatever he calls them. Uh, So the very first sign of the return of the Lord is deception. In Matthew 24, he says, to see that no one misleads you. So that means that we can be misled, or we can not be misled. Deception can be avoided. Become familiar with the genuine. Again, just like in the money situation, the... the, uh, currency that we pass around, the, the bills, uh, can, uh, a fake can be picked out for fairly easily uh, if it's a poor copy. Uh, get grounded in the word. In verse 10, and at that time many will fall away and will betray one another and will hate one another. Does that sound like something that's going on today? Uh, I think Rick, when he was talking earlier, said that uh, I think it was 53% of the churches haven't recovered from COVID, something like that, to where they're not back up to. It's been over a year, people. Come on. If this is important, let's get to it. Uh, Many will fall away and will betray one another and will hate one another. And we see that... um, the other thing that happens in verse 15 is, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken through Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. And then verse 16, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. So he's saying in the end times there's two things that are going to happen. You're going to see deception becoming prevalent. Um, and then we're going to see the, the beginning of the coming of the Antichrist. I personally don't believe that the church will be here. I think we're what restrains the Antichrist from coming into power. But uh, I know that, you know, Jesus said in, in the beginning, don't be deceived. Don't allow them to put you to sleep. In fact, in, in this time, there were some people that were saying that Jesus had already come. And that's been you know, been going on, uh, Jesus has come, or the other one, Jesus, uh, you know, when he was alive here on this earth, he really, uh, yes, he was, he really wasn't a, a physical being, he was more of a metaphorical person, kind of like a hero, you know, that, you know, like Batman, or, you know, somebody that, you know, that a legend gets built upon over time, and, and that's uh, something that's come up too. Uh, falling away from the truth and falling away from the faith. I think we're beginning to see that as we look at it. Um, can we? And we talked about can we have 
a revival and a move of God at the same time that we see a falling away. And, and we can. We can see that, um, that God can work in the church and those that are faithful to him. And at the same time, the world will continue to go their way, which is into further darkness. And when you remove the Holy Spirit from the Bible, really all you have left is dead works. And we've seen that in a lot of churches. They don't allow the Holy Spirit into their church anymore. I had a friend that sent me a link to one of Andrew Womack's um, TV programs, about a half hour long, and I watched it. And he had Tim and David Barton on as guests. And they were talking about the third great awakening. Andrew Womack says that, God spoke to him in March of this year and said that we are in the, in the uh, third great awakening. So he was talking to them about uh, what was the first great awakening and the second great awakening. <clears throat> and the first great awakening, uh, denominations were splitting over heresies, over uh, doctrine, and it culminated in, and brought about and came about at the same time as the American Revolution. So we saw that that, that, uh, that culture was headed down the wrong path. There were a lot of people in the church that felt they should be loyal to Britain. And yet, um, they were, you know, the, the God allows us to have our individual and be individual rulers. The Second Great Awakening really became a fight over slavery. Uh, it was the church leaders who were fighting over slavery, and we saw again denominational splits. And uh, the great awakens, ha- great awakenings happen when there's a lot of bad thinking in the culture. So you had a lot of people believing that slavery was was okay. You had a lot of people believing that being dominated by uh, tyranny and and being dominated by Britain was okay. You have a lot of people right now that are saying. Um, there is no absolute truth. There is no right. There is no wrong. And they did a survey of 384,000 churches. That's a, a pretty good survey. That's not, you know, calling one or two people. And they found that 72% of pastors in what we would call, you know, mainline evangelical churches disagree with one fundamental truth or more. Of the, of the Bible. So something, the Word of God, the Bible is the Word of God, Jesus is the only way to heaven, some fundamental uh, teaching like that, uh, 72% of these pastors disagree. Opposition comes from within the church, and we see that uh, Jesus had his greatest opposition from the religious leaders. Uh, the Pharisees were the ones that, you know, Rome really didn't have an argument with, with Jesus. Um, it was the Pharisees who, who uh, went after him and accused him of, of being a heretic and misleading the people. Pharisees in, Ju- in Jesus' day were misleading the people. They had made laws around laws to keep them from breaking laws and had made it so uh, tedious that the, the people couldn't uh, even you know, breathe. They were under so many restraints. And Jesus came to show them that God was a loving, kind God and that access to him was easy and not hard. Let's look at Mark 7 and 
verse 7. So what are these, uh, what's, what's the teaching that's going on in the church that is against what the, what the Bible says? Verse 7 says, In vain they do worship me, teaching as doctrines and precepts of men. We see right now that people are willing to accept and uh, bring in, in some churches, willing to give up the, their beliefs in order to please people. Uh, whenever we see the traditions of men and ver- versus the commandment of God, it's pretty simple that we're supposed to uh, follow the commandments of God. Proverbs 3 and 5 says, lean not to your own understanding. So the wisdom of man is not the wisdom of God. We have churches that have gone seeker-friendly They've dumbed down the gospel in order to be more appealing to other people so that it doesn't offer an offense. And, you know, Jesus, to some degree, was seeker-friendly. He welcomed people in, but he gave them the truth. And I think our churches are missing that they are trying to get people in, which is okay, but then they're not preaching the truth to allow the people to make a decision of what they want to do with their lives. 1 Corinthians 15.58 Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. You know, there's a couple of commands when you're in the army, and one of them is charge, and the other one is hold your, stand and hold your ground. There's more than that, but those are two of them. And this one is stand your ground. And we need to not turn from our beliefs, from what God has shown us is correct, We need to be steadfast, firmly fixed in place, not subject to change, firm in belief and determination, not able to move. God hasn't changed his thoughts about male and female or killing unborn children. He hasn't changed what he thinks is right right or wrong. So what can the church expect to have happen if we do give in to the culture? I want to give for an example the demise of the great institution of the Boy Scouts. When I was in junior high, our church had a group called the the Pathfinders, and it was somewhat modeled after the Boy Scouts in that, you know, it was a church organization through our church, but we went on camping trips, and you could earn awards and backpacking and and different things, and it was to to build uh, character and build moral compass in, in young people. The scout's oath is, on my honor, I will do my best to do my duty to God and to my country and to obey the scout's law, to help other people at all times, to keep myself physically strong, mentally awake, and morally straight. Well, they didn't stick to that. In 2013, the Boy Scouts caved to the pressure of the LGBT community allowing gay leaders and gay scouts to enter their group, and even female Boy Scouts, if there can be such a thing. (laughs) It betrayed its own principles. 
It was just a matter of time before there was no more reason for it to exist. After 100 years, an organization started chasing the approval of critics. It could never win. And that's what will happen to church. And talking the church universal, if we start chasing after and trying to get the approval of man rather than the approval of God. Acts 5.29 says to obey God over man. We'll go over there real quick. And the circumstances are that they've been preaching the, the word of the Lord and preaching about Jesus and they've been called before the, the Sanhedrin and the, the Pharisees and they've been, they've been asked, why are you doing this and threatened? And Peter said, and the apostles answered and said, we must obey God rather than man. There's no time that we can say we'll compromise our morals, we'll compromise our beliefs of what God's told us is right and wrong to allow society to influence it. How long until the church is no longer relevant? How long until the church no longer has a reason to exist if we go down this path? And just like the Boy Scouts are... are are bleeding members, people are leaving. Uh, there are other groups that are starting up to, to take that place, um, thankfully. But if we follow the same thing and not preach the true gospel of Jesus Christ, we can expect that at some time we'll become irrelevant. In my lifetime, um, I've just seen the, the change in society from, first of all, it was, don't tell me what I can and can't do in my home and in my bedroom. That's where it started out, if I remember right. And then it came along and, and said, well, we want all the, the rights of married couples of having insurance and having you know, company benefits, and we want to be recognized as, uh, as a married couple would be. And then that started to change depending on the state that you lived in. And now it's, don't tell me that it's wrong. Don't tell me that it's, it's not right to do. Um, when does it stop? It doesn't. Uh, if the church gives in on two or three issues, do you think that society is going to say, oh, now we're going to support you? That's what they promised the Boy Scouts. They said, if you, you know, cave in on this and, and do away with the, this uh, belief that you have about moral integrity and, and you know, uh, training people to, to be moral uh, before God in their country. If you give that up, well, then, then you know, things will go good for you. And now they're on the, the verge of closing their, their doors. 1 Corinthians 15. Fifty-seven. If we stand, and we stand for what's right and what's wrong, we could know, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding to the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Know that if we continue to believe the gospel and interpret it correctly, that a victory will be ours. 
your victory, the Mirror Bible says your victory is not a maybe. Because of the magnanimous doing of Jesus Christ, it's a given fact. It's not a maybe. We are victorious. Sin, guilt, and death are gone. The gift of our, of our master, Jesus Christ. Thank you, God. God is a good God. Psalm says in, in, verse, in Psalms 34, 8, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. He is good to all of us. As we continue to stand for what's right as a, as a group, as a church, as individuals, let's know that God is a good God and he loves us and he loves the people that we're witnessing to and that we're, we're sharing the, uh, the gospel with. And, you know, sometimes you may not see it immediately. Um, Dad Hagen shares a story about he did a funeral and 25 years later, a man that was at the funeral came to him and said, I just within the last three weeks asked Jesus into my heart and accepted because of something you said at my cousin's funeral 25 years ago. It never quit working on him. He didn't ever tell us what scripture he was talking about. It doesn't really matter. Something, the word of God was alive and was, was working on that person. You may share the gospel with someone uh, and you may feel like, hey, that went nowhere. You know, it hit the back wall and, and bounced back at me. They didn't receive it. That's okay. Um, you've done what God's asked you to do. You've lived your life. You've shared your, your faith. You've answered questions. The Bible says to give a reasonable expectation explanation for what you believe. Um, there's some people that just want to argue to argue. Okay, but know this, that the Holy Spirit won't stop working on them. The Holy Spirit is more interested in their salvation than you are. He loves them dearly. He loves them. Even our family, as much as we love our kids or uh, our spouse, our family members, God loves them more and wants to see good come about in their life. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this opportunity to share your word. Thank you for all your goodness and your mercy. We thank you that your Holy Spirit is welcome in this church, welcome in our lives as individuals, and that we're expecting you to work and use us to accomplish your goals and your desire and your will in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen today. If you would like more information about Faith Family Church, including service times and location, visit faithfamilybillings.com.